0: Every Wednesday in Sound of Play we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And I'm very excited because joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 123 is composer, multi instrumentalist, vocalist, arranger, you name it, it's Steve Kirk. Welcome. Thank you, Leon. Thanks for having me here. Friend of George Sanger as well and sometime collaborator too. And that's how we kind of hook this up through George, the mighty George. Oh man, he's the he's a super
1: great guy and it's been really fun to be uh collaborating with him.
0: Yeah, yeah. We we love George. He uh, as as I think you heard on our, on our show, he was uh, one of the most requested guests, uh, and he didn't disappoint either. Uh, yeah, everyone said what a what a fantastic guy he is, and uh, and yeah. So through his Facebook, uh, I saw uh, you comments and and then I invited you on, and here we are. So it's as simple as that. Um, and yes, yeah, so uh, we're going to talk about some of the games you've composed for over the years, and uh, yeah, some really cool and interesting stuff, not least of which the track we heard to open the show there because this is a a pretty fascinating story. So that was from and people probably won't have heard it before because there were only 12 of these machines made or something. That was from the Beavis and Butthead arcade game uh, which was supposed to come out or sort of possibly did come out in some places in 1996 um, but it's sort of since been unearthed and rediscovered there's various videos on youtube of arcade enthusiasts kind of looking at this this coin up but i guess when when you got the gig through uh was it time warner atari um, right to compose music for beavis and butthead the game you were thinking okay it's a video game project this will come out and people will hear it
1: well that's what you always kind of need to assume going into stuff so yeah that, so that <laughs> you don't just give up right away yeah uh, uh you know there's a lot of games. Every composer has worked on games that just don't ship. And yeah. uh, I actually feel worse for programmers because they probably work on more games and do more arcane coding mm-hmm. than you could ever possibly imagine and never see a game shipped. And that can be real disappointment. You know, you could burn yourself out for 10 years and not have see a game ship. So I yeah, consider right. myself lucky that I'm not a programmer for variety of reasons uh one is that i would be terrible at it and uh, you know i'm i prefer to be a musician but the thing about the uh the beavis and butthead project was Mm. that it gave me a start in the industry before that i was a composer and a guitar player and in a band called the clubfoot orchestra which some people know about but it's it's we had a reputation for what we did, which was, we played original scores to old silent films, in movie theaters with a conductor and all of that kind of thing. It was about yeah, a yeah, nine-piece band, and um, the leader of that band, uh, Richard Marriott, um, ah. hired me as an assistant uh, mm-hmm. because he got this job as a composer at Atari, which became Time Warner Interactive and all of that yeah. stuff. and that yeah, their uh, their thing were their their thing was arcade games at the mm. time and I mean I think that was mainly what they were doing uh, when I was there and so I was I was a paid intern really and I I, I assisted Richard and I transcribed dialogue from the Beavis and Butthead game which <laughs>
0: was thrilling <laughs> and <laughs> Beavis and Butthead mania was kind of uh, at its peak at this point this was the year the movie came out I think it was before the movie came out okay
1: which I love that movie I love yeah. that movie. I, I, you know, and I and I really enjoyed Beavis and Butthead, But when you are, you are wading through a bunch of dialogue from the TV shows, especially yeah. when they're talking during the videos, and you get a lot, <laughs> you get a yeah, lot yeah. of that. Um, and you know, uh, but the other thing uh, about working there was that it was the first time I had ever used a computer, right. and I learned how to. Uh, I. And Richard even said, you know, don't tell them you don't know how to use a computer. I'll just show you what to do. And I went, okay. And um, so I learned how to do sound editing. That was before Pro Tools. That's when they had a, a program called sound, sound Designer 2, which was a industry standard for a while. And that was just uh, two-track editing software. And and then I did other crazy things like, well, the Babes Are Us track is a good example uh, I was using a, I mean, this is a little geeky. Oh, well. Um, That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, More than all I was right. using software called Studio Vision Pro by a company uh, called Opcode back in the day. And it was a sequencer, uh, basically. And I was, uh, I had an old TAC four track tape recorder, and I had time code on one track. And then I had three tracks left for, I guess, two guitars and a bass. And the rest of it were like Roland Sound Canvas sounds Mm. and things like that. So uh, that's how we got that's how we got that thing that little ditty to rock, you know, live Uh guitars, and uh, everything else was uh, was uh, you know sample based. Uh, So So that mm. and and I had had a lot of experience with uh, sequencers and stuff before I came to Time Warner Interactive because I was always interested in hearing my own music and I always in I often couldn't get people to play it because, you know, limited income, accessibility, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, So uh, that was how I got started. And I was really good at doing things on time and fairly well. So that helped my reputation at that point. Yeah. So I got, and so any work I got after that, uh, because I'm a, kind of a lousy self-promoter was pretty much by word of mouth and reputation. Well, we need this guy to do sound design for this game. Well, how about Steve Kirk? He always does what he says he's going to do.
0: That's a, <laughs> that's a good start. A rare and valuable quality. <laughs> yeah, so, because um, the I understand I've done a little bit of looking into the Beavis and Butthead arcade game. I mean, that's actually you know my my passion is kind of video games and 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 the history thereof. So it is a it is a curio, but I think it was actually the the coin up itself was um, CD technology. It was based on the three D O si- the home system. Yeah. So that did give you rather than having to compose for a sound chip, you were you were kind of free to to go to town with with the musical production. I was pretty su-
1: much. I was super lucky to have avoided what people were doing before was coding yeah. and and uh, coding the music and uh, and i believe and i believe that the uh, the guy i worked with dennis harper who's i i think is still in the biz mm. uh developed the coding for that stuff uh he developed the language for writing music in code which i'm really happy to to say i never had to learn yeah it was yeah. streaming cd music mm. in in game you know that was it was a relief to know that i wasn't going to have to cultivate a whole new career to write music again yeah um, <laughs> the, the the really interesting thing about that game is is you're right it it was right at the peak of beavis and butthead popularity when the game when game production started and because it dragged on for about a year and a half about that time was when well, I guess some kid had dropped a bowling ball with a firecracker in it, like on the TV, like on the <laughs> TV show. <laughs> and, yeah, and and uh, the the popularity of the game started taking some hits, and um, television stations like CBS and whatever were trying to be a little bit ed- edgier because that was the thing. And then mm. and then there was a reaction to that, and they were then they were trying to tone all of that stuff done uh, down. So there was a lot of political stuff going on so by the time the game was ready to market test
0: mm. uh,
1: well the excitement about uh, about the beavis and bud scene in general had waned and yeah. they tested in really odd kind of conservative areas in this in the south bay <laughs> right. right so that didn't help at all because no one liked it and we and it was an edgy game there were huge fart clouds and stuff like that yeah. and you know and we loved it oh well it's mm-hmm. really great that there's some there are some uh I mean those uh those consoles are test consoles they're market test mm-hmm. consoles that's why they were made and yep. it's great that's uh I don't know did you see the article where they refurbished one and they got a couple. Um, of-
0: I've, yeah, I've seen various bits. I mean, there's what's surprising is that there is some. Uh, they've they've got the full um, artwork on the outside of the cabinets in, in in certain cases and stuff like that, which is which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it's really. I think. I mean, I thought that thing just disappeared in the thin air. So the yeah. fact that anything remains at all was really cool, and to see the article, which is available online now, uh, was great.
0: Fantastic. So I suspect that this next piece that we're going to hear is probably uh, from uh, maybe uh, your most well-known work among our our listeners, our, our gaming audience, um, because this is from I guess we can call it a cult classic uh, from the Xbox era, and now let's it's go back. ahead. Yeah, let's go ahead and call it that. Um, uh, uh, Voodoo Vince. Uh, yes, um,
1: I should just say that it's a collection there. It's a medley that I edited together of some of the more popular songs, so it's kind of cheating a little bit.
0: So obviously that's Voodoo Vince medley from uh, from Voodoo Vince by Steve Kirk, uh, and I understand that you went back into the studio for the remaster this year because um, frustratingly, famously, we've had a lot of requests. Our other our other show covers games we review games as well as uh, this show where we talk about music and Voodoo Vince is one that's come up a number of times as as a request for us to cover but for many years we we couldn't do it because we didn't have original Xbox hardware and it never came to backwards compatibility right. but as of 2017 uh, there's a remaster for Xbox 1 and PC and um and I understand that you went and did some fresh music and some reorchestration and various bits and pieces
1: yeah i did uh i did one new piece and I reorchestrated one other, two other pieces, uh, and uh, so I didn't, I didn't have to do a whole lot of new stuff. Uh, the The music was, you know, it came out really well in the first place. Mm. So most of it was really uh, Clayton Koslarik, who's the the, the head game designer at, at Beep Industries when it came out, and you yeah. know, we all had, we all loved that game. We just, it was, it was probably the greatest project I've ever worked on. Mm-hmm. uh in terms of just the the warm vibe of the team and the energy and you know it was clearly a labor of love and yeah. i i had so much fun doing that doing that game i mean there's 3 hours of music in that game mm. and yeah. uh, and uh, was wonderful that they pretty much were had their hearts set on me hiring live musicians, which was awesome it was fantastic yeah. because i at the time i lived in in the bay area i 've been living in Seattle for since twenty sixteen but but for the longest time i lived in uh in either San Francisco or oakland or what have you and uh um My friends are all my favorite musicians at the same time. You know, they're people I work with and they're all really, really great at what they do. They can read music, they can improvise, they can play jazz, they can play classical. And I hired a lot of these people to work on the game. And um, really great energy.
0: So was it fun revisiting? And, and, you know, obviously that's, uh, we've already heard two very, very different pieces from you. And was the the kind of music that you uh, sort of touched upon the genres was that something that you'd you know always wanted to work in back in the early 2000s when that project came about
1: well yes is the short answer uh, <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> um, i grew up really enjoying all sorts of styles of music uh, but jazz is something that i'd never considered myself a jazz musician per se right, it was right. always one of these things where you know i I knew enough music theory and I played in stage band in high school and I played with jazz musicians. And so, of course, I learned how to play jazz, which isn't the same as being a jazz musician. I mean, those guys Mm. (laughs) know all the standards and they can just fly into a gig and do it. Uh, And I need more preparation, uh, you know, but uh, it was great uh, to really researched the project, Uh, the drummer I worked with who played drums on every single track pretty much, um, the only tracks where he wasn't playing drums is when I was using digital drums, uh, and really not many of those. Mm -hmm. And we got together and had a listening session. We went online and we listened to uh, all these different kinds of New Orleans drum beats and talked about what we wanted to do. And in fact, some of the songs were even recorded that way, where I I just brought him in and I said, "Well, can you just do? Can you do a straight New Orleans jazz beat? Can you do a couple mm-hmm. of those?" And I would just record that and second line and funeral march and everything we could think of, uh, New Orleans R and uh, B style stuff, uh, and uh, a lot of those were turned into song structures and i wrote the songs on top of the you know on top of the drum parts i used those uh-huh. as the architecture and and those ended up feeling really really good and this guy is you know he's well he's my favorite drummer he's great
0: so you must have been pretty pleased when you heard that this was uh, being remastered and re-released uh, just from the point of view of you know that great work that you did being heard once again
1: super excited about it super excited about it and so happy that it's available now to people uh i mean yeah. um be, because uh there was there was some shuffling around at microsoft when this game was being made and we and i think that most of us felt like it didn't get promoted the way maybe it ought to have been yeah uh, I think that's definitely fair uh you know um and stuff happens and and that was kind of disappointing Uh but uh, it's great to have it available now. I mean i'm I still get emails, and I get emails from like people that go, "My son likes jazz now because of you because he loves mm. me and Vince so much, and now he's really <laughs> interested in playing jazz, and people are always well, not always, but I consistently get emails where people are going, "Can you give me the sheet music for this?" And I'm going, uh well, I have some of it." You know, I can send it to you, and I'll just send it to him. And you know, and sometimes, uh, sometimes I'll send him uh, songs that aren't aren't available on the original soundtrack CD. Cause oh wow! We, we did do an original soundtrack CD. Yeah, uh, and and that did okay actually. Uh, it was mm-hmm. on, on the Something label, but there's three hours of that stuff, and people go, "Well, how come Unwanted Guests isn't on?" Yeah. The original soundtrack CD, and I'm going, well, I don't know, but I'll send it to you.
0: Time for that triple vinyl re release, I reckon.
1: <laughs> yeah. What, what it's we did-
0: happening. It's, a, it's a happening across the industry. There's no reason why not, I don't think. No, that's, <laughs>
1: uh, oh, man, I'm just, I'm. I'm super excited because the Thimbleweed Park game I just did came out on vinyl, yeah. is coming out on vinyl. I'm not I'm not really exactly sure what the availability is on that vinyl or what it's going to be. It might just be for backers, but I think it, it might be available on fangamer.com. Right. Uh, so I'm really excited about that.
0: Yeah. That's really cool. That is cool. So uh, as always, when we have a composer uh, joining us, we also ask uh, them to bring some of the tracks that they admire from other games by other composers, uh, or it, as we did with George, we we heard from many of his uh, his friends who have, have written music. And uh, the first piece you've chosen for us comes from uh, the the familiar Lucasarts stable, um, and it's a game we've we've talked about a lot recently. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. This is. This is going to be the Grim Fandango from Grim Fandango by Peter McConnell, uh, so what is it about this piece or this composer uh, that inspires you uh Peter
1: McConnell is one of my favorite composers period not just game composers I mean the guy yeah. is so great, and we have a we have similar sensibilities as composers mm-hmm. uh, there is a there is a melodic and harmonic sensibility that we share, and it might be because we both grew up listening to similar things uh we're you know we both enjoy jazz we both uh, listen probably to a lot of frank zappa uh and yeah you know he's not afraid to uh either not afraid or like me not really capable of of staying inside the lines (laughs) (laughs) as it were because uh you know, he just does what he thinks is right, and it sounds really good, and it's very colorful, vivid writing style, and, and very, very melodic, and uh I just think it's great. And, uh you know, he heard Voodoo Vince, and came, when it came time for him to do work for the Star Wars MMO game, The Old yeah. Republic, mm. he said... Yeah, I'm really busy. I'm not going to be able to do all the music I need to do for the cantina music. Can you do 20 minutes worth? You're the only guy I know that can write in my style. <laughs> and right. I said, well, that's very flattering. I really appreciate that. And that was that was kind that, of the beginning of great. our collaboration. But the story behind Grim Fandango uh, was that he originally wanted some folks in the Clubfoot Orchestra to play in uh in the score the original score right and wow. uh and he asked me and then he said oh i'm sorry we don't have the budget for guitar i think he ended up using sheldon brown on clarinet and i think he's mm-hmm. and sheldon is on the remaster too uh, yeah who, who's uh a fantastic musician i've known for years uh who can play all the woodwinds amazingly well and is a phenomenal improviser so that's Uh, why i know about the grim fandango uh, especially and uh when i when i and i just got the remaster and it's just amazing sounding so Mm. the story behind that is you know back then they didn't have budgets for orchestras and and somehow uh they they managed to resuscitate all of all of these old midi files in from some arcane format uh and that was, I think, uh, a lot of that had to do with the late Jory Purim mm-hmm. being able to extract that stuff and, and uh, uh, make it available for reorchestration. And it sounds amazing.
0: does indeed. Let's hear Grim Fandango. <laughs> That was, of course, from Grim Fandango, our podcast on Grim Fandango, the game. And we talk about the music as well, of course, because it's so integral to it. That was uh, issue 291 of the podcast. Check it out a couple of months back now at the time that you'll be hearing this. And that was chosen by our guest, Steve Kirk, who's joined us uh, at a stupid, a stupidly early hour. We thank him for that, his time uh, to coincide with our, our uh, international clock differences. So thank you, Steve. It's really only seven thirty over here. It's not that bad. I would well, like,
1: I would like to make <laughs> oh, one, I, I said Jory's last name wrong. It's it was Jory the late Jory Prum and he was extremely uh-huh. well respected and and loved and unfortunately passed away from, uh was in a motorcycle accident a couple of years ago.
0: Mm, sorry to hear that. Yeah, the industry has has lost so many people now as as the industry ages. But uh, but always, you know, when it's somebody who's taken so so young for in in such sudden suddenness, that's uh, that's always so sad. Yeah, he was a young guy. Mm-hmm. We've also, of course, got uh, tracks from Steve's canon. Um, we've got uh, another pe- a couple of pieces here coming up. We're going to uh, segue them. We're going to put them together. Um, and one of the pleasures that we get from doing this Sound of Play podcast is that I think a lot of times, partly due to the the actual the way in which people play them and partly probably just people's um uh prejudice in a way, I think I think it's uh underestimated just how many amazing ios and android you know mobile games there are with fantastic music um and obviously this is uh one that you worked on a few years ago now uh, yeah scurvy scallywags also for beep um so and you got to make some fantastic fun pirate music can you tell us about the the process for that
1: yeah it was really fun uh again this was with a uh, game designer clayton Kozlark and also ron gilbert uh, yeah and ron gilbert had uh Devised a uh, a game engine uh, for the for the standard match three game where you could swipe in any direction instead of just down, uh, mm. you know. So um, so you could actually have a bit more strategy in the match three process, and that was really really cool. And so when I was uh, when I was first contacted about the game, they wanted me to demo a theme, and so I did. And I was going. I was shooting for this Pirates of the Caribbean uh, lush orchestral strategy. And mm-hmm. and and Clay's going. Uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. But what we'd really like to hear is 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 kind of a threadbare thrown together pit orchestra. <laughs> right. Of you know you know like like an accordion and a violin and and so i had i had accordion violin guitar bass drums horns stuff like that so yeah kind of a kind of a um a a threadbare pit orchestra kind of scenario and and as soon as he said that i knew exactly what he needed and i i was just off and running and it was a blast doing this game uh there was a there was a, a game engine limitation where we couldn't uh, seamlessly butt tracks against each other, right? right? So, and and we didn't even really want that. We we didn't want the music to be continuous. We wanted there to be a little bit of space. So I I kind of uh, sculpted each each music cue to to have a, a bit of t- of tempo change, like a, a ritardando. It would slow down at the end, or it would have. There would be defined beginnings and endings. And lots of times when you're, you're writing for games, you don't do that. You you create loops that can segue yeah. into other loops seamlessly and that sort of thing. And and we didn't do it that way. Uh, and in fact, having the space between the music cues in the game, it gives you a little breathing room. Because otherwise, I think it could get a little bit obnoxious. So, mm, and mm. the music is a little bit obnoxious anyway. It so
0: was <laughs> fun to do that. In a fun way. All right, well, let's hear some obnoxious shanties uh, from uh, Scurvy's Gallywags and uh, Gameplay Medley as well.
2: Walking the plank is a delicate art.
1: (laughs) A plank should be sturdy and not fall apart. (laughs) A victim should show off their speech making powers, provided their talk doesn't last for six hours. A parrot is good for a grin and a laugh Yo, ho, ho. Be careful, your bird isn't too smart by half Yo, ho, ho. They talk and they sing, charm the pants off the crew The next day the bird is the captain, not the
0: So those are by Steve Kirk from uh, Medleys from Scurvy Scallywags. You can still get that, I imagine, on iOS and Android devices from all the usual outlets. I imagine, uh, as with our next track that we're going to hear, uh, that must be it must have been heard for you know, like combined hundreds of thousands or even millions of hours by people. Yeah, um, yeah. Which I, I mean, I don't know. It's um, it must be. It must be bizarre to think that, in some ways, that that you write these tunes, and I, you know, I don't, how long do how long does it take you to write a sea shanty compared to how many hours people are going to hear it over and over and over and over again as they play? Well, they're not going to
1: they're not going to hear the sea shanties until they until they uh, win a boss battle. So uh-huh, so right. and, and, the, Good reward. and 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 the structure of those I I mean there I think there's sixteen sea shanties total. And they wow. all have the same essential harmonic progression, so I see. so what so what I did is I would do humorous little tags at the end of each one, and I would orchestrate each one differently, uh, uh, beginnings and endings. Uh, I would I would look for nautical cliches that I could just cram <laughs> yeah. in there, and what whatever I could do to make it funny, uh, and then I and then there was this guy, who is the singer. This is this guy named uh, Nils Frickdahl, who's amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. He actually sings uh, lead in a metal prog band. Uh, right.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, and, he's, and he's done voiceover work for me and stuff, and he's a really nice guy. He did a great job uh, singing, singing the shanties, uh, but they don't happen as much as the, uh, as the instrumental gameplay yeah. music uh, yeah. stuff, which is coming up. But he was, yeah, he was great. Yeah. And, at uh, you know, as you accumulate boss battles, you can just go back and listen to the shanties at will if you want. But otherwise, they don't really happen in gameplay until you win a boss battle.
0: I see. And were those your first ever sea shanty compositions? Or did you <laughs> come um, across? <laughs> no. <laughs> I've done
1: those before.
0: <laughs> Loads of sea shanties.
1: I love I loved sea shanties.
0: Well, who doesn't? Right. Yeah. There's a few games that have uh, featured sea shanties now there was uh, uh black and white the 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 bullfrog uh, or Lionhead game had some uh assassin's creed 4 black flag had some sea shanties so yeah more uh, and obviously curse of monkey island as well um had a puzzle based around a sea shanty so yeah more sea shanties in games That's right i think so
1: yeah I, how can you how can you go wrong
0: yeah well you can probably make a really really bad one you could I imagine I could <laughs> and only, only make a really, really bad one, uh but yeah, i don't know as as a composer is is that is that an easy thing to write or a tough challenge no it's tough to challenge uh, it's a tough challenge to
1: write in any style convincingly i think yeah um, yeah
0: it 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 uh,
1: all sorts of styles seem simple on the surface, mm. and then when you dig in, you realize that the thing that make them the things that make them unique uh, are difficult and you need to know what you're doing. It's like if you're playing, I mean, not, I'm not saying African music is simple because it's really fiendishly complex, but there are, mm. there, are certain, uh, there are certain notes that just don't work that, you know, if you're an American bluesy rock guitar player type, which, you know, that's part of what I am, uh, mm. what you would normally do is just simply wrong. And uh, it's the same thing with the Zydeco style, which mm. sounds like it might be pretty simple and pretty repetitive, but it's hard to play right. It's hard to be convincing, and it's yeah. those. It's and when you dig into things, or the blues, for example, is good is a good example too because people will go, well, it's just three chords. I mean, it's ridiculous to say something like that. Mm. Because it's not just, yes, there are three chords involved, and then there are, and there are all of these idiosyncrasies that make it sound the way it sounds. And, uh, you know, if you don't dig in and figure out what that stuff is all about, then you're then you're not going to be convincing.
0: So is uh, there a slightly different philosophy than uh, for the, the gameplay music for Scurvy Scallywags? I guess it needs to be something that it doesn't drive people completely insane while they're, while they're matching three over and over and over again for potentially hours on end.
1: Well, I did have some
0: friends playing the
1: game who turned the music off because it did drive them insane. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) Oh, well, uh, you tried, I, I tried to write with, uh, in fact, I was actually talking about the gameplay music of when we were talking about before you played the shanties, because the shanties are pretty similar. Uh, yeah. And but uh, the gameplay stuff we had the idea was to have three categories of intensity. Uh, there was right. a low intensity, a medium intensity, and a high intensity. And and when and when the, when the game sensed that there was a medium or high or low intensity going on, those were the music cues that would be played. Yeah. So when there was more action going on, uh, like a boss battle, then the the more high energy stuff would get played. The medley I gave you of um, gameplay music for Scurvy Scalawags are two high-intensity cues because they're funny. I, they're funny to me. And yeah. uh, the joy of working with both Ron Gilbert and Clayton Kozlark is that they both really can't not put humor into their games, and I, which I think is something that is, you know, we need more of that. Mm. And uh, yeah. it, it it works really well with my personality. I wouldn't write stuff as humorous if I didn't have those guys egging me on, in fact. Right. If I were just writing for myself, it might just be darker or more
0: somber, which, you know, uh, enough of that. Let's have <laughs> some fun. Our next piece from Steve Kirk, who's our guest, uh, again, may, may well be familiar. Now, uh, I heard this having not played Star Wars The Old Republic. But I was pretty much instantly certain that this had to be from something along the lines of the cantina from uh, from the original Star Wars episode four. Uh, And I guess you you kind of already confirmed earlier on that that's where your your skills were employed for for the Old Republic was uh, was in the bars.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. There were other composers that were already had already been engaged for a while with the orchestral stuff. Yeah. I would have loved to be in on that. But
0: uh, but uh peter and i were doing cantina music only right and uh how does the do you, do you know how the, the the title came about do you remember you know it to be true yeah peter renamed all the all the music cues after i gave them to
1: him <laughs> so okay uh, uh, because he is more of a star wars aficionado than i am and right and so yeah. he was working he was working with uh phrases and and naming conventions that i was less familiar with and he said just let me do it it'll be fine and i said
0: go ahead sure why not so this game came out actually quite a few years ago now six years i don't know if it's still like uh has much of a player base to be honest um but i I don't know either no but i guess uh again this is a you 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 know that Quite a few, you know, potentially millions of people have heard this piece of yours for potentially millions of hours in total as they hang around in in the uh, space bars. Uh, well, it's uh, like uh, it's uh, like the Leon. It's like the Farmville queue. Uh, of I, course, I Farmville. Did, we I haven't did that, mentioned Farmville. I did that thing,
1: yeah. and uh, you know, it's they don't they don't give credits to composers on on the on, on the you know when you're loading Farmville so no, so no, no one right. knew but really 90 million people every day were playing yeah, that game course. for a while I'm going oh man if only there was a back end to this deal
0: yeah I was Oops. I was you know <laughs> I thought maybe it would be gauche to ask about such things, but uh you know, I, I was wondering, yeah, yes, Steve Kirk, who we have here, is the man who wrote that music that you heard if you played Farmville um, uh for a, a billion hours back in whenever Farmville was massive ten years ago now, maybe? It's I'm ten not sure. years.
1: Yeah, it is. It's two thousand and seven. That's that's right. Yeah.
0: So yeah, and like you say, if you'd had maybe just a penny, you know, a single cent for every time some of those cues were were played. Uh I mean, I'm sure you would still work because you obviously love making music, but uh you wouldn't need to.
1: <laughs> yes. Is yes, <laughs> absolutely. I would still be working if I wasn't making money and yes, it would be nice to be making money from that game. Oh well. I mean, I uh, most 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 of these projects are buyouts, you know, you you charge per minute of finished music and that's what I did and it was 30 seconds. So there it is. Thirty
0: seconds. Wow.
1: It was. A, I mean, I, I. I. You know, I sent those guys. I. I said thirty seconds is not enough, and and I knew that very shortly thereafter everybody had, you know, every had everyone had higher bandwidth, and uh, mm. and I and they were putting other music in their games over at Zynga that were a minute, two minutes long. So I sent them a minute long version. and said you guys can have this I don't even care I just it should be a minute long just take it and but they never did anything with it they just kept the they just kept the old loop in there so I don't (laughs) I don't know what was going on there I mean you know there you go it just got swallowed up in bureaucratic tape I
0: guess (laughs) I say it's ungrateful because if that loop hadn't been so good you know who knows maybe that maybe you were responsible for a lot of Farmville's Staying power, compelling well, <laughs> nature. Well, I would like to think so. Even if it's not true,
1: I'd like to think so. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. So, when we're talking about the Star Wars game, that was really interesting. When Peter came to me, he said, "You and I need to be using the exact same sound palette." So right. Yeah. I, of course. I used all, uh, and I had to. I had to grab samples that he was using that I didn't ordinarily use, and all of that. And we had to. We had to compare. Our Pro Tools templates or whatever. I think he was working in another. He was working in Digital Performer, but we had to use the same same sounds basically. And mm. and then I got a lot of the ballad type stuff. And I said, well, well, I'm just going to do outer space Duke Ellington type stuff. Is that okay with you? And he said, yeah. yeah. So that's that's kind of. And this one is this one. Uh, you know it to be true. It's kind of a spooky reggae mm. big band song so there are a lot of uh, uh, varied influences in this one music cue
0: So that's from Star Wars: The Old Republic. If you don't know, uh, if you've played it, you probably do know. That's uh, from uh, one of the bar scenes, one of the cantina type areas, uh, in traditional fashion. As you know, the the template was laid down by John Williams in '77 when he did his jazz for the for that famous cantina band scene, and uh, and obviously many composers since, including Steve, here have um, uh, sort of sought to evoke that similar atmosphere of uh, spaces in in dive bars I suppose or or, yeah maybe sometimes seedier than other bars Uh, but no it's great stuff yeah I kind of feel I I am kind, you know I was five years old when the first Star Wars came out and I am kind of um, you know in that invested in that world I'm not like a crazy obsessive or anything but uh, but I do love some Star Wars so I do feel like I've missed out by not having played uh, the old Republic I feel like there's some Star Wars missing from my from my life but uh, MMOs are a are a time sink as we all know so yes uh, I'll just have to enjoy the soundtrack uh, outside of the game Uh, More space opera, although this is strategy space opera, uh, for Steve's next pick by another composer. Uh, This is, again, a game and a soundtrack I'm not familiar with, but I've listened to the piece and it is, of course, very lovely. Uh, So can you tell us about what we built by Howard Mostrom from Planetary Annihilation?
1: Yeah, uh, well, uh, when I first moved up here to Seattle, which was January in 2016, I I met with uh, some of the folks at PopCap Games because I had worked with them on pr- uh, on previous projects. Uh, one was uh, the Princess and the Frog, uh, yeah. by uh, Disney, uh, mm. and um, and I said, well, you know, what do I do to get uh, what What do I do to in- ingratiate myself into the into mm-hmm. the co- into the game audio community of the Pacific Northwest? And they said, oh, well, you want to join Seattle Composers Alliance, and you want to join. Uh, Seattle Game Audio Group, and one of our guys is kind of spearheading that, and and I so I did that, and I'm still doing that. And one of the guys I met was was Howard Mostrom, and he's mm-hmm. a super nice guy, and he's super highly skilled, uh, and he's over at you know Uber Entertainment making games, and they uh, and this planetary annihilation game was um, a big deal for him. Um, they, they had a Kickstarter project and, uh, and, uh, for this thing and they, and Mm. they pulled in a lot of money, enough money to hire a full orchestra and, and Howard did all of the, uh, all of the composing for this. Uh, he had some orchestration help, uh, but, um, I have a feeling that he was responsible for you know how a huge amount of it sounds I, I know that he had a heavy hand in mixing most of it after it was recorded I think it was recorded mm. at Bestier Studios up here which is a, a big hall where orchestras frequently record game soundtracks anyway, nice. Uh, yeah, super nice guy um, and he was aware of my work and we became friends and uh, when I heard this I went wow this is really good so that's this
0: So that's from Planetary Annihilation, which is a 2014 game. You can still get it, of course, for PC and Mac if you like your uh, sort of space strategy kind of deal. And as you heard there from that Howard Mostrum piece, it's uh, it's got a, an epic and opulent soundtrack, indeed, to be enjoyed. Uh, can't beat a bit of uh, super grand space sweep for uh, for this sound of play podcast. Uh, and our next track. Eighth of ten for this show is by our guest, Steve Kirk. And I've been excited about this one. Um, I think uh, George picked uh, a piece of yours from Thimbleweed Park. Right. For his show a trailer and, vari- uh,
1: trailer variations. Yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah. Uh, and this is a different piece. Um, and this sort of this also uh, harks back to uh, sort of classic genre music of uh a bit it's got obviously Thimbleweed Park is a kind of um a a, a deliberate uh throwback and homage to um the games that uh, Ron Gilbert himself worked on back at LucasArts in the day and obviously we had maniac mansion uh, back then and this is a mansion piece so can you tell us about the well tell us about the the Thimbleweed Park project really
1: well that's yeah that's a re- that's that's been a really exciting recent project it was released in March of this year uh, Ron has been great to work with Uh, he gives me a lot of space Uh, we discussed what we wanted it to feel like and what he explained to me was that it needs because we had just worked on Scurvy Scalawags he says so so the music can't be that active okay and he was like (laughs) a little not scared or anything but he was like (laughs) you just wanted to make sure I knew that things needed to be more stretched out and I said, "No, I completely understand." He said, "Think, think, Twin Peaks." And I went, "Well, okay, that makes sense to me." And mm-hmm. uh, and Ron loves guitars, so we we didn't have any conflict there either, since I'm a guitar player. And yeah, uh, so the idea for me was to create stuff that was that was that. That had an orchestral depth to it. There was, you know, the 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 focus was pretty orchestral. I mean, trailer trailer variations has a drum kit and stuff like that. There's very little that of that in the actual gameplay. There are, there are there are modern electric instruments mixed in with orchestra, but it's more It's more spacious. The melodies are more drawn out, uh, and I. Was I can happily say I got away with a lot of dark textures that I probably yeah. would not be able to get away with with other game producers. Uh, he likes that stuff, and yeah. uh, so that was a that was a really really great match. And uh, the mansion is actually one of the sadder, more subdued orchestral pieces yeah. in the in the in the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Is Mansion from Thimbleweed Park by Steve Kirk, our guest, who I think it's fair to say, at least in uh, interactive uh, media terms, you've had a, a heck of a year, 2017, with uh, with the Voodoo Vince remaster and obviously Thimbleweed Park coming to umpteen formats and being a bit of a hit everywhere. It must be pretty cool.
1: It's very nice. Yeah, it feels really great.
0: Excellent. So our penultimate track for this Sound of Play is uh, our last pick by... Uh, by Steve from other composers and this is uh, I think one of the composers who's picked by most composers if you see what I mean Uh, Marty O'Donnell uh, incredibly admired by both us uh, punters without musical skill or talent and also those those who who have that who are blessed with musical skill and talent Um, but this is a piece I wasn't familiar with so this is uh, the, the musical prequel to a forthcoming game project called Gollum. Whether so, this so this is like an album that already exists in advance of uh, uh, an interactive piece. Yes, as I understand it. Yeah, yeah. it okay. is. I,
1: and I <laughs> and I and and I'm I mean, good for him to just go. Well, you know, while the game's in production, yeah. Before I know what I what I'm supposed to do, and I'm, I'm just speculating. He's going. I'm, yeah. I'm just going to do an album of stuff. Yeah. You know, and the guy is so good. Yeah. He just, I mean, you know. It's not even fair to call him uh, a game composer. Mm, He's mm. world-class composer, period. He's yeah. just great. I mean, this guy knows his shit. He's a great writer. He's a great composer. You can tell that he has influences from all over the map. Uh his, you know, his knowledge of music theory and style uh is extensive and Listening to this stuff is pure joy.
0: That was uh, Dreamer's Lullaby Orchestra, play, as played by an orchestra by Martin O'Donnell from this uh, record, Echoes of the First Dreamer. So, have you heard the whole album, Steve?
1: Yes, it's
0: great. Yeah, it's great all the way through. Is it? Uh, is it like a full length? Uh,
1: yeah, it is. I would, I
0: would snap that up. Okay, listeners instruction to snap that up yeah it's um yeah it's it's a really it's, i don't think i can think of a of another sort of example of something like that happening <laughs> um a composer just going off and making a record ahead of or you know uh, publishing a load of work ahead of a game coming out that's really unusual well i think uh, he's in it,
1: a, i think he's in a position to do that you know yeah uh and if you're in a position to do that and you don't do it you know you're hmm. you're wasting the opportunity um, you know we all all us composers are looking for opportunities to do stuff and yeah. so he's had a, he's 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 had a lot of successes so oh, yeah. good for him for taking uh the you know what i believe to be the correct advantage of that success and doing more stuff
0: too right remember listeners please do venture over to our forum at canarince.com forum or you can do it on Twitter. Follow us at Kane and Rince. Use the hashtag Sound of Play if you want. We also have a Facebook page. Naturally, you can make requests there too. Request your favourite tunes from video games, soundtracks from the entire history of the medium. And we'll continue to include a selection of those in the playlist for our regular Sound of Play podcast. That is when we don't have talented composers on who get to choose the entire playlist for you. Uh Please subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Leave us an iTunes review or rating or review or rating on whatever platform you get your shows from uh, in what whichever region as well. That's all very useful to us. Uh, or just tell some friends that they might enjoy the show. And if you really appreciate what we do, we, we do an hour of this show every week and two hours of the other podcast, Cana and Rince. You can donate a dollar a month or more if you wish at Patreon.com slash Thank you for that. Uh but mainly for this show, thank you Steve Kirk for joining me uh and talking music. Uh what fantastically eclectic set of uh tracks we've had from you. Oh thanks. Uh,
1: no, I man, it's it's been great to be on. I thank you so much for having me do this.
0: Oh, very very welcome. Yeah. Um yeah, uh, is there anything you want to tell our listeners about? Any plugs, uh, social media, or any projects that people should be aware of that you're up to? Whatever you like, the oh, floor I'm, is yours. I'm
1: I'm working on some things that haven't been announced yet, so of I, course, kind of can't talk about that.
0: But, sure, uh, sure. I am
1: excited about this songwriting collaboration project that I'm have that I have with George Sanger, aha, uh-huh. the Mighty Fat Man. Yes, uh, it's been really, really fun, and you know, I. Th- w- we met not that long ago. It was a few years ago at a uh, at a GDC, a Game Designers Convention, and uh, he was hanging out with Peter McConnell, and we all went yeah. and had lunch together. And uh, he was just a really he was just a really sweet guy. And and then I think he was he was looking around on Facebook and said, hey does anyone like writing songs anymore? I want to write some songs. (laughs) Who wants to write songs? And no one responded. And I went, dude, I'll write songs. I love writing songs. Let's do it. So we have three under our belt now. And uh, the the last one we did was the one you're going to play, That's All You Need to Be. And, you know, sometimes he will send me nothing but lyrics and I'll work with that. And sometimes Mm. he will send me... A demo of the song, and then I'll work with that. the The, the one you played on his interview, he hmm. wrote. Um, he wrote the the verse, and the chorus, and then I wrote the bridge, and then I and I've been doing all of the tracking pretty much over here and the singing and stuff. But I see. It, it's really fun, and we have our little private. What song is What song is our inspiration for this thing? You know, is it going to be this Beatles song or this Badfinger song or something like that? And mm. uh, and we never really stick to that, uh, but we just use it as a, you know, we, as a source of inspiration and perhaps uh, stylistic sensibility, maybe. But this one, I thought the lyrics were really sweet, uh, beautiful, uh, yeah. and sensitive, and kind of poignant in a way. And maybe he didn't even mean them to be poignant, but they were to me. And yeah. uh, and I started with a finger picking pattern uh, on my mm-hmm. gut string guitar and and it just extrapolated out from there and you know i think i think the inspiration for this this one was we're going to do a, i told him that i really liked the mccartney song i will and he says well yeah. let me write some lyrics that will kind of fit with that meter and then what i did with it was more like lennon's julia kind of hybrid with oh what's the name of the song oh yeah happiness is a warm gun so uh-huh. uh, <laughs> uh Anyway, the song doesn't sound like either of those songs either, but, um, you know, it was just it's it's just fun to uh, to go back and forth with songs that we like and then just go, okay, well, uh, now let's do something.
0: Brilliant. All right. Well, let's close the show with this incredibly sweet song from uh, our guest, Steve and previous guest, George. Uh, That's all you need to be until next time. (laughs)